Hello, and welcome to Vibrant Life Allies, the podcast that introduces you to coaches, entrepreneurs, and other people who can help you live life more vibrantly. Today, I spoke with entrepreneur and author, Kanor. <laughs> I'm going to say just her first name, so I don't harm her last name as well, but I loved it. It was an amazing interview, and you know, her her company is very interesting, Mind Hatch. And what we really dug into was her book, which is is called I Quit. And the subtitle, I believe, is The Life Affirming Joy of Giving Up. So quit and giving up are words that have a lot of stigma in our society. And so we talked about so many amazing things today about times when you you need to quit. So maybe there are something in your life that you've been thinking about quitting, but you know, there are pressures and fears and obligations that make you feel like that means something. It means you're a bad person. It means you can't quit. Check out this episode and, you know, learn more about how that can actually be a really great thing. And then also, you know, check out her book. The link will be in the show notes. And I look forward to sharing this episode with you. So I'll let you get to it and just get out there and live vibrantly. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Vibrant Life Allies. I have an amazing guest again for you today, and I'm really excited to share with you what she has to offer and and learn about it myself. So I will let her introduce herself. Hi, um, my name is Kanoor Bahal, and I am founder and CEO of MindHatch, which is a creative consultancy that helps companies and businesses create the conditions for innovation and creativity to thrive. And I'm also the author of a recently released book titled, I Quit, The Life-Affirming Joy of Giving Up. Wow. So that was a lot there for us to break down today. But <laughs> thank you for being here and sharing your your time with us on, on this. So let's start with Mind Hatch then. So that was kind of the little snippet. Can you give us like a, how did this come about? How did you... <laughs> The whole story. Let's do the whole story. The whole story of MindHatch. Okay. Well, um, let's start in the ice age of MindHatch. Yeah. So MindHatch is really, you know, MindHatch, I've had it for about seven and a half years. I founded it seven and a half years ago and I, I left my corporate consulting career to found the company. And to me, MindHatch is really just the encapsulation of all of the things that were related to innovation and creativity that I was loving in my corporate job but that wasn't really like my day job at my corporate job. It was more of like my own professional development that I was doing like after hours. And when I decided I wanted to make these things like my my bread and butter, kind of the only option I had <laughs> was to kind of start my own company to do it. And yeah, and so it was also like a, a born out, out of a desire for myself at that time to just like get rid of working in bureaucracy and having to deal with office politics and just like dealing with all that stuff that just in my mind gets in the way of doing good work. And so that was a big, another big reason about why I became an entrepreneur and wanted to work for myself. In addition to kind of things around, like I really felt as like a, as a woman and as a woman of color, the only way I could work in a meritocracy was 
working for myself. So that's really why I took that route. But all the methods that I do, I've been doing for a really long time. So I I am an expert in a method for innovation called design thinking and human centered design, which really takes like a empathic forward customer first approach to kind of really understanding a customer and then designing solutions for them. And I also have been an improv comedy performer for 10 years. And yeah, and so when I started my company, it just made a lot of sense to kind of fold improv into it. So I I do a lot of work with companies in like bringing improv into their workplaces to develop skills or like other kind of, you know, programmatic efforts too. So I was taking notes and I had this this train of thought yeah. where I was going with something. And then you said improv and I just kind of <laughs> lost everything. That's, oh, really, that's really cool. I love that. So what does that mean when you say you're into improv? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. How much time do you have? I could nerd out about improv like for so long. <laughs> so I, um, so what it means when I say that I'm into improv, it means that 10 years ago, I almost to the day, actually, I signed up for my first improv class. And when I, this time I was, I was living in the East Coast at the time. And I was really scared and nervous. I thought I would just do one class and not even do the class show. And but then I like did it and I signed up for a second class. And it was really that second class that got me addicted. And so what it means when I say I'm into improv, it means it is a very serious hobby in kind of like my outside of work life. But then also several years after I started doing improv, um, seriously, I made it a part of my business as well. So it's also a big part of my work life too. So yeah, so that's kind of what it means. So I, I like, you know, obviously during the pandemic, it has lessened quite a bit, you know, but I still have a couple of teams that I'm on where we rehearse every week and I actually have an online show tonight with one of my teams and oh, yeah, so still kind of keeping, keeping it up and always learning, taking workshops and that sort of thing. That's really interesting. And that reminds me when I was reading through all the information that I, that I have about you that I found um, your, and maybe it was on your email. You have a game, the five things. I do five things. Yeah. Yeah. I have a five things improv card game that is really great for just like setting the tone for a meeting or a workshop that you have. I even had people write to me say that they, they play the game around their dinner table with their family. And that was really fun. And so, so the five things game, it's like a really simple improv game where you just ask someone to list things. But what I learned in the early days of when I was teaching improv to brand new students was that if you tell them, hey, ask your partner to list five things, they will sometimes just be like, oh, list five things that you see right now or list five things that you're wearing, which honestly is a little bit easy and doesn't really like inspire like the connective tissue in your brain to kind of really think creatively. So when I was teaching classes, I wrote prompts to like help my students to like ask each other some more creative five things challenge questions. And so, and then a couple of years later, I turned that into like this product for, for mind hatch. That's really cool. So it's like a fun game, but it it's used in the business setting as well. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I will sometimes do that exercise when I'm doing corporate improv sessions. And I definitely have a lot of, a lot of corporate people who like buy them in bulk, you know, to have them around the office and like start off meetings with them or yeah. Mm -hmm. That's super fun. So now that we've gone into the improv world a little bit, <laughs> I, I can remember where I was. Design thinking and like really focusing mm-hmm. your strategies for customers. Is that kind of what Mind Hatch does for people? 
Yeah, yeah. So I think kind of, you know, another well, one kind of definition for design thinking is that it's about creative problem solving. And so I think the best way I can describe design thinking is kind of in in opposition to kind of like the more traditional way that solutions are developed by companies. And so a lot of times, and I'm sure those of us who have worked within companies will recognize this, you know, a lot of times companies will, you know, come up with an idea. And maybe sometimes it's like the person who's sitting in the biggest leather chair in the company that comes up with an idea, right? And and, right. and then they like, you know, just devote all their resources, all their time to that one idea to bring it to market. They keep everything in-house and they analyze and assess in-house. And then they like finish making that thing. And then they'll like kind of toss it to the marketing team and say, hey, now sell this, right? And at that point, it's the only time anyone close to their end consumer or user has like experienced that product idea or solution idea. You know, when you lay it out that way, it always sounds very high risk, right? You're little, you're putting all your eggs in one basket, right? And so a design thinking approach, I think a couple key ways where it is different than a more traditional approach is in that empathic customer centricity, you know, like you will begin where your customers are and seek a really true understanding of your customers beyond demographic data to understand like their thoughts, beliefs, values, you know, desires, wants, needs, and all of that. And you will even use kind of ethnographic methods to understand your customer more deeply. And another way it, it departs from, you know, the traditional method is this idea of, you know, you might have like this idea of like rapid prototyping and rapid iteration, you know, so instead of putting all your resources into one idea, you might spread out your resources across maybe like five ideas, but do really low cost prototypes of each of those ideas and keep testing with your customers and iterating with your customers, you know, until you really prove and validate which idea or ideas is really worth putting more investment into and is worth bringing to the market in the end. Right. And that makes sense because you're actually getting the feedback on that end. Exactly. Like from the people who will use it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, from, from the day one, when I first heard about design thinking, I, I remember having this, like, I, I, I often call it a head slap moment where I was like, oh, this is so logical and so obvious, you know, like, why is this even innovation? You know, this should not be innovation. <laughs> like this right. should be the traditional way of doing things. And one, one reason why I feel so strongly that it should be is because it really is less risky to do it that way. That's such an amazing point. Like you said, when mm. you say it, it seems so like obvious, but yeah. that's, that's not how, <laughs> how we do things. It's, it's mm. like you said, it, it comes from the top down and then you get your marketing team to, to work miracles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure marketing teams are like, sometimes are like, wait, what the hell is this? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? So, yeah. Right. We have to, to figure out how to make somebody want something and then yeah. want it from us instead of what do they want? Okay. Now how can we provide that to them and get that message out? That's definitely, that's so much yeah. easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, one would hope. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So that's a really great service to the, the companies that you work with as well. I would assume it I think it would be best, better for the consumers as well. Let's talk about the book that you sure. wrote then. Give us the full media kit. Go. <laughs> the full media. <laughs> nice. <laughs> My head is spinning because uh, like I'm speaking to you like four days after it 
published. <laughs> so there's been a lot, a lot that's been going through my head for the book. But uh, so you want the full media kit. Okay, I know you were joking. But yes. what can I answer for you? <laughs> so what's the title? I'm sure you've said it, but what's the title of the book? Yes, it's I Quit with an exclamation point. The Life Affirming Joy of Giving Up. Okay. What does that mean? Yes. Okay. So what that means is that, so the book contains, uh, I'd say it's about like 90% telling the real stories of real actual people and the stories that they shared with me about when they quit things in their lives and that they were really, really happy about it and they had no regrets. Um, uh, and then it's about 10%, like my own personal narrative, a little bit of like memoir snippets, you know, like interspersed throughout all the stories. And the reason why I am so passionate about us as a society, removing the stigma and the shame that we have given to quitting and to quitters is because I like in my twenties, especially experienced this kind of wholesale change between being this kind of hyper achieving perfectionist type of person who, as I realized, was kind of just doing the right thing because I had learned and absorbed from other people and systems about what the right thing was, you know, and I had really (laughs) bought into this false belief that like hard work always pays off. And boy, when I got into the workplace as a woman of color, did I have that myth dispelled for me for sure. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I, my first like full-time job after graduate school, I, I quit honestly to like sum it up. It was because of sexual harassment and it was this job that I was like, I thought I would do this career for the rest of my life, you know? And then like three months in, it was like, oh my gosh, no, I want no part of this, you know? And so, and so that was a moment where I really got a lot of clarity around my own values, you know, and, and importantly, what I was willing to put up with and what I wasn't willing to put up with. And that kind of really empowered me to quit that job, you know, months later after I kind of, you know, realized that things were not going to change. Yeah. And so that first big quit was really monumental for me, you know, because it was like I quit for unemployment. I didn't have anything lined up. It was a big risk, you know, mm. but it was also really empowering. And and so I've, I've had a couple of quits like that in my 20s that really, honestly, I realized that they put me on a path of progress and got me to where I wanted to be far more quickly than if I had just been a person who had stuck it out for the sake of stucking it, sticking it out. And so, yeah. And so I realized that in my, in my twenties. And then the reason why the book is not a hundred percent me, but it's like other people's real stories. Each chapter is a story um, is because when I, when I founded Mindhatch, I was one, I didn't know what I was doing as a, as a new entrepreneur who was like newly not wanting to work for other people after years of trying to make that work. And I was just going on a lot of like, I would just do a coffee chat with anyone who would do a coffee chat with me. And I was realizing that, you know, it's such an American thing, you know, where like when you meet someone for the first time in kind of a business context, you kind of recite your resumes to each other. And I really found myself in those moments like, probably rudely interrupting those people and saying, wait, wait, tell me why you left that job or tell me why you moved away from that city or why did you not finish that that degree, you know, and why did you switch? And from those experiences, I really found myself loving other people's quitting stories, you know, and exactly because I felt I could learn so much more about them and like, again, what their values were, what their trade-offs were, and that allowed you to kind of get to know people that much more quickly. 
that's a great story. And, you know, I think having that collection in there is probably, mm-hmm. it is very helpful because, you know, you had a horrible situation with, with the mm-hmm. sexual harassment, but, you know, a large catalyst like that kind of pushed you into that position where you had to, you know, evaluate your values and what was yeah. going on in your life. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that pattern. Like you talked about, this is what we do. This is, I, I get this degree. I get this job. I stay in it. Mm-hmm. And they've got more like maybe micro, I guess you would call them situations going on and mm-hmm. just things that aren't the right fit. But since it's not on a bigger level, it's not shaking them up. They're just going to stay low level miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Low level miserable. That's such a, an apt phrase, I think for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, because we spoke about design thinking earlier, like I, I really view like my take on quitting is like very much like I, I, I could say informed, but I was kind of like learning these things simultaneously, but it, it really does track to like what design thinking and creative innovation advocates for, which is like a non-linear process, you know, and like life is not linear. Like we, we try our best to just like force it, you know, like this, 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 and this, and then this, you know, but along the way, as we all experience, you know, like nothing always goes to plan. Right. And like, one thing I've learned from improv is that like, yeah, nothing goes to plan, but it's like, what really matters is how do you respond and react to it? You know, that that's like the really thing that, that matters. And so, yeah. And this phrase of like sticking, sticking it out. It's like, well, if you're sticking it out, like ask yourself, like, well, maybe are you stuck? You know? <laughs> and so is it, is it a choice? You know, in a big, a big lesson from the book is that quitting is for sure a choice, but so is not quitting, you know? And if you right. can kind of look at your decision to stay in something as a decision, and if that matches who you want to be and what your values are amazing, then don't quit, you know, like that, that's not the right choice for you. But, but I think if we can kind of view like this stasis that we feel is safe and that we've been tricked into thinking is less risky as a choice, you know, that can kind of reframe a lot of things for us. No, absolutely. That that's fantastic. I love the way you said that and brought that up because, you know, it's important, I think, because a lot of people, you know, you have to have, like you said, the values and the mindset in place to really look at the situation and ask yourself what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can stay for the wrong reasons and you can quit for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know, every time it's not going to plan doesn't mm-hmm. mean you quit. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. Sometimes you improv, sometimes you roll with it and you work things out. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that some people struggle with. You you have people that are, and less people, but that are quitting left and right. <laughs> yeah. Something's supposed to be this perfect fit that's just right. Oh. And then you have people who are afraid they're going to be quitters. Mm-hmm. And so they stick it out no matter what. And and, yeah. and neither one of those are, it's not you know, right or wrong, but it's what is connecting with your values in your life and really looking at your reasons for this decision and making the Definitely. best decision for you. Definitely. Yeah. And and the people in the book whose stories I share, like there's a lot of through lines across all of them, but like one is just the insane courage, you know, that they have. Like I really think quitters are courageous, brave people, you know? And so to really like to defy, like not only societal expectations, but for many of them, you know, family expectations, cultural expectations, you know, like some of the 
trade-offs that they were willing to accept are like incredible, you know, and for them to accept those trade-offs and still have no regrets. You're like, that was a situation you definitely needed to leave, you know, (laughs) and at, at any cost, you know? And so, but you were willing to make huge sacrifices to, to live your values, you know, and sometimes quitting is a way to live your values. And so, yeah, so I think, I think that, that courage is something that really hit home for me and in, in speaking to these people, you know, and, and even for me, you know, like, you know, kind of realizing in my earlier parts of my career that like, wait a second, like I'm a quitter, but I'm still a good person. I still have good character. I'm still loyal. You know, I'm still like all the things I was before I became a quitter, you know? And so like, right. it's just like society has told us that those things can't coexist, but, but they absolutely can. Absolutely. Yeah. That there's a, the, a huge stigma around these words that you're saying here, quit and giving up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that comes from kind of a, you know, a black and white, I think type thinking of what that means. And like you said, you can be a loyal person. You can be a committed employee and mm-hmm. have quit a job. Yeah, definitely. You know, someone asked me, this wasn't related to the book, but I think it was on LinkedIn, but I don't know where it was, but recently someone asked me about like, if you have had like three different jobs in the past 10 years, you know, and you get asked about that, you know, in an interview, like, how should you respond? You know, like this kind of like, you know, stereotype of the person who doesn't like stick around in a job for very long. And like my response in the moment was like, well, that interviewer, like they're asking the wrong question, (laughs) you know, like they have, they have brought you in for an interview because at minimum, they think you were qualified for the job. What they should be asking is like, Hey, like what was wrong with those organizations so they could not keep you someone who we think is qualified for our company, you know? And so you place so much blame, like on the individual, you know, rather than on like the systems. Like that's what I would be more curious about is like, Hey, what was up with those organizations? You know, why, why were they not a good fit for you? You know, as opposed to the opposite. Wow. (laughs) That just made me like, when I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, so that, you know, that person is probably looking for someone who doesn't have that history because that way they don't have to worry about it. Like who cares if it's a crap job, that person's going to stay here and and do it. (laughs) You know, it doesn't matter how I treat them or what, you know, benefits they get and things like that. You know, that's what, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. Instead of, you know, what, like you said, what can we do to keep you here? Cause obviously we brought you in because you're someone we're interested Mm -hmm. in. That's, That's really that's really fascinating because I had I had looked at that always as, well, that's a good question to ask. Why are they <laughs> jumping around? But then yeah. I work. I have had, had jobs. I know why people move. Right. And it's exactly. not always them. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. I think even if you haven't had that experience yourself, like just by virtue of working along with other people, we all probably know like 20 people who have left their jobs for reasons that were it's a you, not me kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, and that's not necessarily a loyalty is a good quality, but loyalty in the face of, you know, what? Yeah. What and loyalty to what you to put up with to put yeah. prove that you're a loyal person. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great point. So I would think then your book kind of helps people work through their own personal, you know, beliefs and bias they might have against quitting or giving up? Yeah. You know, um, 
Uh, so, so someone that I interviewed for the book and her story is in the book. She said this really amazing thing. She was, she was one of like the last interviews that I did. And, and she said something to the effect of like, we don't get to hear or see examples of people quitting and like upending the status quo. And that really hit home for me. Cause I was like, Oh, like that's exactly why this book is a collection of stories. You know, it's like not just because I like, quitting stories. It's also because, because of the stigma and the shame that quitting has had for so long, people don't share their quitting stories, you know, very openly, or they might reframe them as like, I retired from that, or I moved on, you know, they may, they may even won't even use the word quit, you know? And so I really hope that the stories kind of like are those examples that this, that this woman felt were so missing in her own life, that these are examples of the reader of people who summon the courage to overcome all sorts of anxieties and pressures and expectations, you know, to really make the right choice for themselves. And I hope you can kind of like see, see some of yourself in each of those stories and like, you know, come to a better understanding of like, you know, your own values and like what you might've done in that situation or not done in that situation. And there's also an accompanying I quit toolkit that will be available very soon that will kind of help you kind of, you know, become a courageous and happy quitter and help you really reframe some of your past quitting stories and also give you some guidance on like, you know, how to think through in the future if you're considering quitting something. I love that. How to quit your job, the workbook. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the the book isn't only job job quitting stories. That's like one section. But there's sections of people. There's a a section of quitting habits, quitting jobs and careers, quitting identities, quitting aspirations, and and quitting people and relationships. So I really try to like represent like the whole spectrum of human experience of things that you can quit. Woo, quitting it all. I love it. Yeah. So we do have a little little time here left, so maybe we can get into those a little bit. But I want to go back to the jobs for a moment. Sure. Did it? It occurred to me while you were talking. Did it ever come up? Because this is probably a a very difficult situation as well. People that there was just something else they wanted, or it just wasn't in alignment, even if they had a great job, mm. and but they still, you know, mm. quitting was still the thing to do. Yes, several times over, actually. So, yeah, so there's a, uh, let me just like kind of list off the the job related stories. So there's a woman who was like, a like director VP level at a Silicon Valley tech firm who left, I think we would probably all, you know, fact that that was a quote, unquote, great job. There is a woman who quit being a doctor after she had become a doctor. So you can imagine like the sunk costs and investment of time and money that she was willing to, to give up to, to leave that field. There's someone who quit a corporate job that they were very good at because it was literally harming her health. And there's also a story of someone who quit the circus, I interviewed a former circus performer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And that story in particular, I think really highlighted for me a really interesting case example of, of someone deciding to quit because she quit the circus because she had just met all of her goals. She hit, She was successful and she was like, okay, there's nothing left for me to do here. So I'm going to go back to like my other career <laughs> now that I've done the circus thing for a while. Now that was really interesting, you know, that that quitting doesn't always have to be inspired by 
a sense of failure or a sense of this isn't working out, you know, like you can also make a choice. It's easy for us to keep doing something simply because we're good at it, you know, right. and being good at something can sometimes get in the way of us really reflecting and thinking about, is this what I want? You know? And so I think that that circus story is something that is really interesting from that example. Yeah, Absolutely. So then what are some, what are some habits that you talk about that people are quitting? Oh yeah. It's interesting. So there's three stories in that section. One is a man who quit heroin and another is a woman who was born into, as she says, a life of thugs and drugs. She was really born into like a life of crime and um, was like, you know, stealing cars for her family by age 15, you know, and selling drugs even earlier for her family. So she had quite a few things to like, you know, quit and um, to make the life for herself and her children that she wanted. And then also in that chapter, and it, it might sound out of place given the two stories I just mentioned, but the story of a man who quit drinking soda, which might sound kind of on the face of it, a little frivolous compared to the other two, but I kid you not, it's, it's really, really compelling his story and like what motivated him and the struggles he went through. And yeah, that, that story I think is, is more powerful than the, the quitting topic might, might portray. I think that's probably a, a very good and interesting contrast though. It, it may yeah. be harder, I would assume much harder to, to quit heroin, but yeah. think of the support that you would yeah. have. Whereas yeah. if you're like, I'm going to quit sodas, well, you don't have to quit them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can have one right now. Mm, yeah. You, know? you can have one every now and then. Why do you want to quit? So like you, you have all these people that are going to have like opinions about you not drinking soda. <laughs> That's so it, that you're spot on like that exact same scenario came up for this person um, in their in their like years of trying to quit soda it was just like, oh, just have one more. Just have one more, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I wouldn't think anybody would like support you It'd always. Be like, <laughs> well, why? Yeah. <laughs> so and those kind of it, at least with the the woman that you mentioned, those kind of habits that kind of seems like it would also be connected to, you talked about quitting certain identities. Yeah, yeah. So the identities one is, yes, I'm trying to like think now from memory what's in there. Oh, there's a story about a woman who, in, in her phrasing, quit being a good little black girl. Ooh. And yeah, I think in kind of another way to phrase that would be like, she quit being a goody two shoes and kind of like, you know, being what her like very white affluent community that she grew up in was expecting of her and definitely an example of like someone taking on an identity and then much like I did in adulthood realizing that it wasn't it wasn't working for them you know at all and so like doing a they did a lot of work to shed that and in fact became an anti-racism educator and playwright and and that sort of thing and and there's another story about a person who around age 40, kind of really came to the conclusion that they are gender non-binary and prefer romantic relationships with women. But a, a big part of their journey toward that was quitting trying to date men <laughs> because they had for so long just been identified as that and assumed that they did want to date men. And like they literally went on like a couple of years where they were going on 
a date every week, just trying to like investigate and research and like almost like a lab study, you know, <laughs> like, you know, and, um, and really kind of the, the conclusion and the freedom that they felt at the time when they were like, wait, I don't have to do this, you know, it was really kind of like the moment of clarity for, for them to embrace like their whole identity and, you know, stop, stop trying to be something that they weren't. You know? And, and we know, some, you know, bigger examples like that. But that's another one for me that makes me think of just there are all kinds of identities or roles that that people put themselves in on a daily basis. They don't want they don't even really question it, but they, they don't actually want to do it. They might have like that version of, you know, anybody could have. Well, this is what a, a good woman does, a good wife, yeah. a good partner, you know, a good person of my race, my gender, my sexual yeah. orientation. And, you know, there could be little parts of that, just mm. like maybe they they have to go to a certain place every yeah. once a week or something, you know, like some people go to church for that reason, right? Mm. It's like, this is what a good person does. They go to church once a week, every yeah. week. And that seems smaller than some of the other ones, but you're just doing that because that's what a good person does. You're, that's, yeah. you're missing, that's the whole, that's not even <laughs> the point of, of why yeah. to go there. So, you know that's a, it would be a important identity to question. Like you're, yeah. you're committing a lot of time to this. Is that something that actually aligns for you and you're doing it for the right reasons? Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing that you bring that up because the other two stories in that section about quitting identities are about quitting religion. So there's a story about a woman who decided to quit the Mormon church and then a story about a man who who was who was so involved with his evangelical Christian church that he he was on the path to like as he said become a street preacher like he was going to literally live like like Jesus you know and and he ended up quitting the evangelical Christian church it's amazing you brought that up because the other two stories are actually about about quitting religion a religious identity you know that that they were born into I grew up in, in a very strong religious identity and and so a lot of the people I know that that grew up in that it's even hard for them to see that. It doesn't mean that you're quitting God, which that could also be something you can do. But if you quit a certain prescription yeah. of what people who believe in God do or act like, you know, mm -hmm. that's something that people came up with. <laughs> yeah. And you can quit parts of it or all of it and still have your own, you know, faith or beliefs. You know, definitely. Yeah. And I think like what you, what you just said also like really reminds me of like, of like a, a lesson that I took away from all of these stories, which was like, you know, a lot of the, the stigma and shame around quitting comes from like fear, like fear of failure or fear of being seen as someone without good character. It's a lot of a lot of fear or like fear of the unknown or uncertainty. And, and I think it's just like uh, at many moments you have to question like, am I living my life based on other people's fears or are they my fears? You know, and I think a lot of things like, like, you know, your examples of religion included, but so many, many other things, you know, like there's a lot of opportunity to assess, like, am I living my life because of other people's fears rather than my own, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, and, a lot, and every single person in this book, you know, decided that they were not going to live for other people's fears. I know that that probably touches everybody on some level. And I think the book would be helpful in that way to see how, you know, these people worked through that, came through it and were able to be like, oh, this doesn't change who mm -hmm. I am as a person, who I want to be, you know, at all if if I quit something. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, sometimes as I learned, quitting can 
get you to who you want to be a lot more, a lot more quickly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's going to be very encouraging and, and inspirational for a lot of people that, that read your book. So thank you yeah. for that. I did want to say I, or ask about what do you mean by quitting aspiration? Yeah. So, you know, that was like a section that really, well, all the sections kind of came about organically, just kind of based on who reached out to talk to me, to tell me their stories. And then I kind of like would recognize some themes and that sort of thing. And so for aspirations, it's really just like, you know, hopes and dreams that you had that you decided to like, you know, give up on, you know? And so there's a story in there about a woman who was like on the cusp of getting what we all know to be the American dream. And she realized like, I don't want that, <laughs> you know? And so she left that trajectory and that, and that life. And there's a really, really powerful story because the woman was so amazing around she and her husband, they, they quit trying to become parents. They went through a really long process of trying to become parents and ultimately they decided to to quit that that journey and quit that that desire yeah so it's kind of like the those kinds of things like hopes and ambitions you know for yourself that that you realize you need to need to stop all right and probably a lot of that comes from what you touched on earlier it was really someone else's hopes and dreams yeah. Yeah. You know, I, th I think in the case of the woman who was trying to become a parent, you know, it was very much like she and her husband's desire. I, I mean, long story short, you know, like the, the lengths to which she was willing to do harm to her own body to have a child was something that was very much informed by like toxic positivity, like in the world of fertility and, and infertility. And so I think that was a little bit more about like it being someone else's hopes for you, you know, and like people not understanding the trade-offs and the expense, you know, physical and financial, you know, that that, that can take. So, yeah, yeah. But I, I, that's yeah. a really amazing story. And the, and the woman who, who told it to me, like she should be, she should be speaking about this like right and left. <laughs> yeah. There are many people who struggle with that and that story yeah. would probably be you know, very helpful for them, whether they decide to quit that journey or not. But, you know, having yeah. that information and learning what she went through, especially like you said, if, if they're in a situation where they're pushing themselves to do things that aren't healthy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think also some, from the book, I, I hope that people take away like maybe an alternative way of reacting when they hear someone say they quit something. You know, I think it's understandable because we've all grown up with the same shame and stigma that when we hear someone quit something, our, our immediate reaction might be kind of like pity or like consolation, you know, as opposed to congratulations, you know, or as opposed to, wow, like th that must have been so bad that you had to quit that, you know, it's so really kind of judging judging the circumstance like, rather than the action, really kind of giving quitters the ben benefit of the doubt when they tell you they quit something <laughs> because I guess these stories will show you that it takes a lot of courage and that many things are worth quitting. That That's true. You don't, you know, opening your mind to not knowing immediately how to react if someone says mm. they quit. Like, okay, well. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean for you? Let's talk about that. Do I need to congratulate you or, you know, comfort you? I tend to speak without thinking, so I don't know that I should have said this, but I was helping someone with a, a divorce once and the, the wife came to see me as well because I needed to work with both of them. And so I hadn't met her and I was like, hi, it's nice to meet you. 
And I said, um, congratulations or condolences on the divorce, mm-hmm. whichever applies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I got divorced last year and that is exactly like what I help people with. I'll say, oh, it's a congratulations kind of divorce, you know, like, so, so feel free to be happy for me. <laughs> you know. And so, yeah. And I, I feel, I do feel like with divorce, people are getting more used to saying like, oh, should I say I'm sorry? Or should I say congratulations? So I feel like that is becoming a little bit more normalized is like, something that doesn't need to be, you know, pitied, you know, or um, you don't have to have regret for on behalf of someone else when you when you hear that. And so I think there's a lot of other things in life that we can kind of start changing our, our mindsets around in that same way. Yeah, I mean, it could have been a mutual decision that's wonderful for both people and support from other people like on being having the courage to do that would be better than yeah. like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you can think of like the uh, the stereotype of like, oh, but she was such a great person or he was such a great guy. You're like, okay, well, that could be true. But also then uh, the next kind of logical question is like, wow, it must have been so worth it, <laughs> you know, to give up something that was that good on paper, you know? And so, yeah, so really go to like the, wow, it must have been that worth it. <laughs> yeah. Kind of mindset. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There had to be some important trade-off there. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm going to get a copy. Oh, thank um, you. I it's available that. right now. Yeah. And the, the ebook on Amazon is just 99 cents right now for a limited time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, and and so you mentioned Amazon. I will ask for my own curiosity, but maybe the listeners as well. What process did you go through with the book? Did you self-publish or are you with someone? Yeah, I'm with a publisher. So I'm a uh, publisher called New Degree Press. I actually went through like an author accelerator program that's attached to that that publisher. So yes, and and it will be very soon now available. I, I totally understand and don't blame people for maybe being a little anti-Amazon, you know, and especially when it comes to books, I'm a library fan and I always buy my own books from like local bookstores. And so, um, but it will be available in libraries and I'm also going to be working to get it to be available like on bookshop uh, online as well to support more local retailers. Awesome. Well, it sounds like there's many, you know, powerful and inspiring stories in there. So I'm, I'm excited to, to check Mm -hmm. that out. We're going to have links all your links in the show notes for everyone to to reach out. But what just like in general, how can people connect with you to learn more about the book or or Mind Hatch or just yeah. your improv, maybe anything? Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, at risk of like listing out ten different things, um, <laughs> I will. Um, you know, uh, best way to, to reach out to me or, or connect with me and, and follow me for more related to quitting and or innovation and creativity. The best places to follow me are on LinkedIn. And also on Instagram. And I'm very easy to find because my name is very unusual. The The book also has an Instagram account. And that is at I Quit Book. So I say those three places are the best places to keep in touch. And then, of course, whatever Lisa puts in the show notes. Yes. Click them all. A lot of value and a lot to be to be learned from, from you. And I mean, like I, I could still talk to you all day, but I won't take up any more of your time. But thank you so much for for being here today and, and sharing with the listeners. Oh, thank you so much for your generous curiosity and for spending this time with me. I'm, I'm really grateful. It was my pleasure. And, you know, anyone listening, if you're interested in, in quitting or just learning more about the different, you know, the stigmas and the pressures and the things that people have gone through, check out 
this book. And I think even if that's not something you were thinking about, you're going to learn something. So I'm, I'm excited, like I said, to read it. And I know you will be too. And, you know, follow her, connect with her as well to learn more about Mindhatch and all the amazing projects that I know she's going to have in the future. All right. And get out there and live vibrantly. <laughs>